0: There is a certain clarity, a sobering of the mind that comes about in times of death and of near death. Whenever the teenage son crashes his car on a Friday evening and calls his parents, and his parents answer the phone, and he's recounting to them what had occurred. What's racing through their mind is not the numbers on the receipt for the new tires. No, what's racing through their mind is the Preciousness of their son's life. Or at the death of a loved one. It is a time that drives us into meditation about time and life and how precious it is and how it is a gift from God. And Lent is a time, it's a season like that that's appointed by the church every year in light of the death of Christ. And it seeks to Um, clear up the mind, sober up the mind by answering certain questions. Questions such as, who is God? So we talk about things like his justice and his mercy. What is the problem between God and man? So we talk about things like sin, God's wrath, and the atonement of our Lord. And how do I fit into this thing today that happened some 2,000 years ago? So the meditation upon the Lord's Supper, it's good and proper because it answers some of those questions above, and I know Pastor has been talking about this with you guys on Wednesday nights, answering questions such as, what is the Lord's Supper? Who is it for? When should we take it? And the like. So Monday, Thursday, the night in which our Lord is betrayed, the night in which he institutes this supper, can kind of act as a book that meditation. So tonight, what we want to look at is its importance in the life of the church, its centrality in the life of the church, and therefore also our lives as God's people. Hear the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. the natural ordering of things, as you would expect. The natural ordering of things is usually someone dies and then the will is read. But no, he he doesn't follow that. Rather, he institutes his will before his death. It would be rather presumptuous of us to read the will of a 30-something-year-old before he has died because his death is not certain. But our Lord's death is in fact certain. The prophets have spoken about it. He's spoken about it. Others have sought his life and he's evaded them, but now this is the time, because it is his life to lay down, that he will die. It's certain. And because of the magnitude of this situation, that it is the will of the incarnate God who bore our sins and brought them to the cross, the magnitude of the situation then, our ears should perk up about what he is saying, because the will that he's leaving, the testament that he's leaving, it isn't like ours that are dealing with temporal things. So-and-so gets the property, so-and-so gets this thing and the that, but rather what he's talking about, his will, deals with that which he's accomplishing, namely salvation. And in his will, he institutes the supper. And with it, he gives instructions but also promises attached to those he instructs us he commands them to eat and to drink his body and blood for it is his body and blood because he is god and when he says something is therefore it is so it is his body and his blood and they are to instructed to eat it and whenever they eat this and drink this in faith they receive gifts from God, the spoils of the victory, of the war which he is engaging in and will accomplish and rise victorious in his death and his resurrection. He gives us forgiveness, the fruit of his cross. And did you catch what he called this last will and testament? He called it a covenant. They, the church, us, we are to keep this covenant until he returns. And this is not the first time that God has made a covenant with his people. God gave a covenant and instructions and promises of his people of old in the Old Testament as well, and which they were supposed to do until the Messiah came. So God made, these, made a covenant and gave instructions and attached promise, promises to them. One that comes immediately to mind is circumcision. It is that fleshly marker that the sons of Israel would have done on the eighth day that marked them out as God's people, as inheritors of the promises of God, Yahweh. The whole sacrificial system, which the priests were to do to impute the sins upon the lamb, to slaughter the lamb, to have the blood poured out on the altar and poured out on them, and they were to eat this sacrifice as an atonement for their sins, or the Passover, which we remembers as we heard that great event of old, whenever God rescued his people from the hand of Pharaoh. And that is exactly what Jesus and his disciples are doing there that night. They're keeping that Passover just as the Lord commanded them. And this belief in God's Word and faith in God's Word and also the practice in keeping with what he commanded, it marked out Israel. It separated them from the Gentiles, from the world. It gave them an identity. It gave them an external identity and also an internal one. Externally, outsiders looking in, the Gentiles, you could recognize an Israelite by who they are, what they say and What they do or what they don't say and what they don't do. They eat certain things. They don't eat certain things. And I mean, just think about it. If you lived outside Jerusalem as a Gentile, and if you weren't even keeping the same calendar as them, you knew whenever it was Passover. Why? Because there they were. Processing to Jerusalem to keep the feast. It gave them that external identity. It also gave them an internal one. It shaped and formed their lives as they would read the Torah, God's word, day in and day out. They would go to synagogue to hear the preaching of the coming Messiah and the details of his coming and the prophets. It shaped their worship. It shaped their very lives at home. It was the center, the heartbeat of their lives. And Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, He fulfills all of those things. And in that fulfillment, he establishes a new covenant. He is the true Passover lamb. He is the lamb unblemished, which is sacrificed, and the blood is poured out on the doorpost of our foreheads and our hearts, the doorpost of our hearts. And we eat his flesh. And the sacrifice that he gave is not ongoing every year in the temple. No, it was of the true temple, his very body and his blood. And he gives the benefits of that sacrifice to his people even today in this new covenant and in his word and sacraments. These benefits, the benefits of the shedding of the true blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, are given to us in sacraments and also his word. In baptism, it's a circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart. It's what the circumcision of old pointed and looked forward to. It's a greater circumcision. It washes us clean, and it marks us off as God's people, as inheritors of the promise of salvation, which he's accomplished in the shedding of his blood. In the Lord's Supper, it's what the Passover pointed forward to, his institution and our reception of the true Lamb of God. And it strengthens that faith which is given to us by his word. And today, like in, for the church in the Old Testament, gives us an identity, externally and internally. It marks us as who we are, the outsiders, the world, knows who we are by what we call sins and not sins, what we say and what we don't say, what we do and what we don't do. They see us processing, not to Jerusalem, but to this place, every Sunday, the day of the resurrection, to be with the Lord. They can see it, It marks us. And it also gives us an internal identity, because it orders our lives. It teaches us how to pray. It orders not only our lives out there, but also here in this place as we worship. So it separates us from the Lord chiefly because, it separates us from the world, excuse me, chiefly because we have the Lord as our King, as the ruler of our hearts and our minds and our lives. So we're able to embrace the teachings of Christ, the teaching of repentance, And forgiveness and truly repenting of our sins, and come here to this place to be centered upon His presence here in this pulpit, at that lecture, at that altar, and at that font. So, Christ's Word and His sacraments, they're markers of the church, and give us this identity because it is where God Himself is. And from this reality, as the church, the whole life of a Christian is centered upon Christ. His words and his sacraments are simply what we're about as Christians. His word shines forth into a dark place and creates faith and sustains faith in us by the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through that word to convict us of our sin. He preaches the law to us, and from it then, that being put to death, we're given new life through the gospel, and we're comforted by the certainty of that forgiveness because of the death of Christ. So his grace and his love he accomplishes on that cross and in the resurrection is poured out upon us in baptism and in that chalice. So our hymns Our prayers, I mean, this building itself, the way it's structured and oriented, and even our lives are centered upon him and his presence here. So the church's life is centered upon it. Our lives are also centered upon it. What occurs here molds our lives out there. We're not looking to the gods of this world or the gods that our hearts make up that are just small, tiny, puny compared to our Lord and are just whipping boys of Satan. No, we look to the Lord, the true and living God. And where is one to find him? Where is one to find the true and living God in a world plagued with sin? And death. It's here. It's here in his word and his sacraments. Therefore, we long to be with him. We hunger for his word and his sacrament. We live lives, Lord willing, looking forward to reading the scriptures every day. Looking forward to feasting on his body and blood and hearing his preaching on Sundays, week in and week out. And we do this because this is where he is present, blessing us and forgiving us, pouring, pouring out his grace and his mercy that he has accomplished for us on the cross. And it is that way in which he keeps his promise, his promise to be with us until the end of the ages. So it is what we're about as a church. It is what we're about as Christians. Simply because it's what God is about. And it's where he is. Convicting sins and forgiving our sins on account of Christ. So I exhort you this night to have this mystery of this new covenant form your hearts and your minds. To pray about it. To desire him. To think about it continually. Every day, to not work against the Holy Spirit, but let His Word and His sacraments shape your life. Because a life shaped by the Holy Spirit is one that is truly beautiful. It is one that is at peace. It's at peace because we know who our Lord is, and we can be with Him. And we know that He reconciled us, reconciled us to the Father. And therefore, therefore out of that, we have peace before him in this place. Therefore, we should also boldly ask those, invite those who are outside of the church, who are in the world, who see us and can identify us externally. We invite them to come here, to come from the place of darkness, the place of sin in the world, but to come here To hear about the God of peace, the God of light. And if we lack this hunger and if we lack this desire, we only need to hear two things. One of which is the words that we heard not that long ago Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust you shall return. And the second is what we're going to hear about tomorrow that the consequences. For my sin, for your sin, for Adam's sin, for the sin of every man, is the death of Jesus Christ. So as we hear about his passion tomorrow, and we have it pictured in our minds, the crucifixion, we have a picture of the perfect example of justice, the perfect example of of love for Jesus says no greater love than this than he who lays down his life for his friend. And you are his friend. And therefore out of that repentance praise him. Thank him. And look forward to Sunday morning where where you will hear about his resurrection. And then after that day on Sunday do not let your hearts do not Let your minds be snuffed out, but continually hunger, continually hunger to receive his sacrament, to be in his word, to seek him, seek his grace and his favor and the sacrament every day until he brings us from this valley of sorrow to himself and heaven to feast with us eternally at the banquet feast, And his Father, our Father's kingdom. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.